I'd like to welcome Luke Fröhlich. Did I pronounce that right? Perfectly, thank you. It's a German name, an Austrian name actually. Austrian, you told yes, me. please. But you are originally from? Switzerland. Switzerland, of yeah. course, of from course. The French-speaking part, as you can The French-speaking part, but we already started in German. Your German is actually excellent. So next podcast, it's on tape now, we're doing in German, right? Jawohl, versprochen. Ah, thank you very much. Luc Fröhlich, you're the global, global head of digital assets for Fidelity International. Correct. You've been, Fidelity has been in the, in the business of digital assets and Bitcoin for many years, starting with Bitcoin in 2015. Um, I, I'd like to know today, one main question is institutional investors and Bitcoin and digital assets. Where do we stand? Where are we going? What are the challenges? And you know, what do you see right now? Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a tough question because I think a lot of people are trying to figure out this question. But my feeling is that all the events that took place over the course of 2022, it's kind of been like a, a washout of bad actor, bankruptcy, bad stuff like on the shore. And what is happening at the same time is I think that all of this was actually pooling institutional investor in this space. Because if you think of all the challenges that we've seen over the course of 22, you had uh, very young companies, very aggressive behavior, leverage bet, and you have a lack of governance, right? So if you think about it, this is typically what institutional established asset manager or financial institution are good at, right? They have a very solid governance framework. They have been around for a long time and they have a track record. So I think naturally they are going to be sucked in into this market. Now, there are also um, rational for them to make a move into this, this space, in the cryptocurrency space. I mean, hopefully we talk about also about the, the broader digital asset, but just on the crypto side. Um, if you look at the size of the market, right, we're talking about a market of about one trillion US dollar. Now, what is the biggest challenge that most asset managers and financial institutions have been facing for the past few years? declining margin, right? If you if you look at the, the latest Boston Consulting Group report, Asset Management 2023, I think the, the average margin, um, the fee that they get is 23 basis points. Now you look at the fees that um, funds are generating on crypto assets is about six times the, 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 the size. We're mm -hmm. talking about 1.5%. So if you look at 1 trillion, which at the moment only have a coverage of 3% via farm, which is nothing, usually is 40%. So 1 trillion, 40% at 1.5% uh, fees, that's, that's about 6 billion US dollar revenue. So I think naturally there is an attraction in this space. Now, um, institutional investor, asset manager, banks are not going to jump into this field if there is no buyer. But as you would appreciate from the rebound that we've seen in the crypto market, 60% for, for a Bitcoin, for, for instance, people are looking at this space. And they're not just looking at the, the return, right? They're also looking at the falling volatility. I mean, I, I look at it myself as, as an investor. And when I hear the traditional, oh, it's a high volatility asset class. If you look at Bitcoin now, we're talking about an asset that has volatility of about 60% over a 260-day uh, uh, basis. That's very close to a 50% that you would see with, with an Amazon stock, for instance. It's, it's almost boring, right? It's almost uh, getting a little bit, you know, it's like 2% here, like not even 1% some days. It's basically just going sideways. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't think when it, we are totally to the point where it gets boring, but it's, it's, gets, it's getting a little bit more quiet. Um, and I think that's, that's just the beginning, right? Because as you see institutional investors moving into this space and also the development of the derivative market, you can also expect, like we've seen in other markets, that you would also slowly the, this volatility decreasing and making a, a little bit more palatable um, market for, for other investors to jump in. What do you think from today's point of view is the main investment case? And let, let's just stick with Bitcoin for a moment. Yeah, um, we've been, I think the market itself, I've been looking for a narrative for many years. Right? There was some strange narrative um, about 18 months, two years ago, you remember, like the inflation hedge. I never really got to that Um even understanding why, was it like a parallel to, to gold? I'm not sure. But what seems to be at this stage and for us, the main narrative is, is a sort of digital gold. Mm -hmm. So you have like the probably best monetary good that is available. And I say best is in comparison to fiat or to gold. You have all these little features that make Bitcoin, in theory, a better monetary good. It's easy to... Um, to, to, to fractionalize or to, to move around. And, you know, there is one thing, one, one thing that I find quite interesting. Um, everybody's talking about gold at the moment, right? There's been a huge buying of gold. Now, um, I don't think it's controversial to say that if you are, in particular, uh, an emerging economy and you're buying gold, right? Where is this gold going to sit? Right. Apart if you're in a, in, a, in a country like in, in, in Africa, in Zimbabwe, where you, where you produce your own gold and you can maybe store it next to you, where is this gold typically so, uh, stored? It's going to stay in London. It's going to stay in New York. You know, yeah. Maybe the Swiss hold some. Maybe. But the point is that it's not directly accessible. right? You, you are putting yourself in a position where you need to trust someone to get access to what you see as... A hedge against any type of risk so it's 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 when you just think about this aspect say why wouldn't central bank start looking at bitcoin because you all the asset well you have your private key that, that that's it nobody can stop you from accessing it um so just just a side comment but we've, we've seen this right there's, there's been yep. one incident it was uh, venezuela's gold Venezuela's gold was not uh, was 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 stored, I think, in London, and they wanted Chavez shortly before his death. I think he wanted it all back, and he didn't get it. It's 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 one of the example, and 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 rationally, um, especially for super adverse investor who think of you know the end of the world, um, then you want to have an access that you an asset that you can access like immediately. So that that's why I, I find this current discussion around gold a little bit. Um, Uh, there should be an indicator for people to say, oh, shouldn't we looking at other asset classes? Do anyway, you think or do you know that there is central banks who are looking into Bitcoin right now? There are only anecdotes about this. Mm. I haven't seen any official statement. Because the thing is, the, the game theory is pretty easy. The game theory is the same as for us. The sooner, the better, basically. For, for, because if you, if you buy now, if you're one of the first central banks... Um, you're going to get a better price, right? Yeah, so it, I agree with the theory, but I'm also a little bit skeptical when we talk about the first mover advantage when it comes to crypto assets. 
because I haven't really seen that working. Obviously, you have some big asset manager like Grayscale first in and they just took over the whole market. But otherwise, I think there are a larger number of examples of players that have been trying to position and being the first one and got hit the first one in the mm-hmm. face because people are still figuring, figuring out where the risks are and how you manage this asset. Well, it seems to be pretty straightforward, but you've seen like this, I'm not going to call it the ledger debacle, but my goodness, over the past week, I've been, you know, I've, I felt bad myself. I saw that I had a very strong understanding of what were the, the risks and the features of hardware wallets. And overnight, I thought, wow, I totally missed the point. So you can imagine that mm-hmm. uh, something similar is certainly going to apply also with, with other custodians. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, from a, from a price point of view, it might be an advantage to, to jump in there. But our central bank is a central bank, which thinking like maybe decades ahead going to be really sensitive to a few percentage? I mean, even if you like 10, 20, 30 percent, the, the, I, I don't the, think so. I think the truth is that it's not even, that the, the game view is not over with just the price. The second part is, yes, you look into it now. Yes, you maybe buy it now. M- maybe you mine it somewhere, you know, in the, in the, in the cellar next to the, where, where the gold should be stored. Mm-hmm. But you don't tell anyone. Because there is no point in telling anyone right now. That's the thing. When, have you seen the thing about Bhutan, the little kingdom in the, in the mountains, that where, where they discovered that they have been mining Bitcoin for years and now they had to, had to tell people? Yeah. Um, it, it can make sense at the level of a government, right? You're, you have your own sovereignty. If you're a Bhutan or another country which has a lot of um, hydraulic power, for instance, it makes a lot of sense. But if you're a central bank... Yeah. I think that um, that, from a regulatory point of view, it might be a, a bit of a challenge. No, um, maybe we touch. I don't want to go too deep into the regulatory. is is not very exciting. But there are some, I think, fundamental questions that people need to figure out. So just moving one minute away from a Bitcoin and just looking at digital asset or tokenized asset. You know, there are some interesting use case in the security funding side where banks are starting to use DLT to shift money. Uh, for instance, like uh, uh, UBS, I'm not telling anything secret, it's, it's, it's public information, is using DLT to shift money between the different branches. So you would have like a, a branch in New York would be lending money to uh, another entity in, in Singapore, for instance, all uh, what, in a tokenized what, what, format. What technology are they using? Uh, it's DLT. Uh, there, I don't want to mention too many names, but um, it's uh, it, it's a private branching that they're using. Exactly. So they are using like their own proprietary um, technology, right? Without going into detail, okay. that's Broadridge is, is is on the back of that. But for instance, the figure that they provided is that you have about one trillion US dollar who is being shifted on a monthly basis. Now, <laughs> the question is, from a regulatory point of view, the day you have your branch that you're lending to in, I don't know, Singapore or in, in any country, that's branch default. What is the value of your token, right? Because in most countries, the token itself is not recognized as an asset. Look, I give you an, a, an example, like, you know, you would not believe that, but in, in Hong Kong, there are certain, where I live, there are certain type of contract. If you don't have a wet signature, it's not valid simply because the law hasn't really caught up. And in tokenization space is the, is the same challenge, right? There are a lot of, most of the regulatory framework do not recognize what a token is. 
So I think mm-hmm. people are very much underestimated the challenges that need to be um, uh, considered when you start dealing with, with token. So we talk about private blockchain, bank, so highly regulated entity. Now you can imagine the challenges when you approach an asset like Bitcoin. That's where I'm getting at. So central bank in secret dealing, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think it's, it's fairly uh, fair to say that they're spending a lot of time investigating the space, understanding, because we all need to get up to speed, right? And that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- the regulatory challenge underneath that, there is the other challenge of education. I think you, you spend a lot of time um, effectively helping, you know, I've listened to some of your, your show, helping to, um, to, to, to bring people on this journey and understand what is actually real, what are, where the challenges are, cutting the noise. But there is so much education that needs to be done in this space. Now, I, I started investing in Bitcoin back in 2015. Long Congre- journey. Congratulations. <laughs> well, I didn't invest in, in enough, obviously. Obviously. Um, it's been a long journey, right? My background was in trading, portfolio management. I did all the ICO, lost a bucket of money and realized that I saw that I, I had a good understanding of the space. But actually, from a technical point of view, I was not there at all. So I started educating myself in Python coding, into VC investment. And every time you open the door, it's like, whoa, I didn't consider this. Now I'm doing a, a master in blockchain. And like, again, every semester, I'm like, whoa, that's another rabbit hole that we need to explore. So uh, going back to the challenge that all of us, and in, in particular, uh, official body are facing is to educate themselves. So where do you start? It's it's just non-ending space and it's challenging. It's technical. I mean, I concentrate. I, I, I concentrate only on Bitcoin. I mean, I do have the other stuff, and I, and it's interesting for me to see um, how uh, institutional investors and big firms are looking at the, at the crypto space because, from their point of view, of course, it makes more sense to have a, a broader a broader approach. I see that. Yeah. I am very skeptical about tokenization. I, I I'm. What do you think? Or where do you think this is going to, to, to add a benefit in so far as, as we can actually use it? Yeah. Um, so jumping to the last part of your question, it's already being used. But the reason why I think people don't necessarily realize the extent to which it's being used is that it's used in the back office, yeah. in the middle office. It's not sexy at all. But that's important, right? That's a good it thing. It is important. It is important. So I think <coughs> what ultimately this tokenization is being helpful with is at the moment at least is to simplify all this, this back office, middle office. And if you think about this, it's just a natural evolution of financial market, right? You started with some physical documents, like a signing contract. You have one copy, what signature. Um, if you want to trade it, I need to hand it to, to you, very manual, manual. Step number two, you digitalize this, so you have an electronic copy. Now, each of us have a copy, great, uh, but what makes sure that I have the same copy as you and as you, as you? So you start adding some requirement like reconciliation. And you can imagine, like for instance, for an asset manager, at the end of the day, we've traded thousands of securities. So we need to go back to our broker, check are the same security that are in your book that are in, and used to be in my book. You need to check with your transfer agent and so on because 
we all use different databases and it's all, all silo system. So the natural step from physical to electronic is the token mm -hmm. where you agree on certain standard and then you share your own database. And then if it's blockchain based, you can also expect that there are going to be the opportunity of using self-executing contract. So I, I, I truly believe in the value proposition that tokenization is offering, but to a large extent, it's been, let's put it uh, hyped. You know, it's, it's like a, like Russian dolls, you know? You look at the first doll, it's super big, and uh, it's fascinating, right? It's, it's, you open it, and mm. you look inside, it's the same, but it's smaller. And then you open it, and it's smaller and smaller. And tokenization, to some respect, has followed the same story. Right? Back in 2015, we're like, yeah, we're going to tokenize everything, intellectual property and all this good stuff. A few years later, we're like, well, smaller. I was like, yeah, but let's, let's, let's look at private assets. And then what happened last year? You have a bunch of investment bank who launched a tokenized bond. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we, we went from this big Russian um, doll all the way down. But I think that it, it, we might have reached a the bottom, like a mommy bottoming out because people have realized like, well, okay, we can do stuff with it. But the bank are doing this at the moment, the bank. Because it saves them money and because it saves them and it gives them a, a chance to modernize. I, I think the fair way to put it is that it will save them money in the future. And um, that, that's, that's why most of the bank have been way ahead in terms of adoption of tokenization or just DLT, generally speaking, because they were the, the one who has been facing cost pressure much faster than, for instance, asset manager. Fix the Money is brought to you by 21Bitcoin, the easy way to buy, sell, save, and send Bitcoin. 21Bitcoin is a Bitcoin-only app, not an exchange. There's no distractions. There's an individual savings plan, very low fees, first-class personal support, and a German bank account. Based in the Austrian Alps, it's available now throughout Europe. Download now using the code FIXTHEMONEY to get up to 20% off your fees over there on 21bitcoin.app. Not your keys, not your coins. You need a hardware wallet signing device. Check out the Bitbox O2. Swiss made, secure, beautiful, open source, Tor support, Bitcoin only, and an all around outstanding product. Use the code FIXTHEMONEY on shiftcrypto.ch to get 5% off. That's the Bitbox O2, fix the money. So, so my argument when it comes to tokenization is this. It was, it was hyped and it was sold on a narrative um, that I think is misleading is saying, okay, we're tokenizing everything on blockchain A. I'm not even naming names, right? Yep. And then you imply that if you buy the token from blockchain A, you basically get a part of what's going to be tokenized, right? It's implied. It's less, we're going to put all, all assets on the blockchain and then suddenly, you know, the, the worth is going to double, you know? Half of it is going to go into the token. The other half is going to be in the token um, the, the, where it's tokenized. And, and my... Oh, and, okay, I, I see what you mean. And, 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 and this is only part, but the other part, and that goes back to the narrative and to your... Because you said, mm. and you said something very interesting. You said that Bitcoin basically is the best monetary good that we can find. Um, that's, that's what you said, right? 
Um, yeah. One of the reasons why people buy real estate and stocks and other stuff is because their monetary good isn't very good, right? We protect against inflation. We, we, we buy, we buy um, um, index funds in order to beat inflation over the long run. That's the whole story. Yeah, yes, yes and no. I mean, I don't buy a property to be able to buy food tomorrow, right, to exchange against something. That's what I mean by monetary good. It's something that I can also, in yeah, itself, yeah. doesn't have a value, but I can use it to exchange and get access to another good. No, but what I'm saying is, what if we have a monetary good that actually works? Yeah. Then we don't have to buy as, ma as many um, houses for investment, and we don't have to buy as many stocks for investment and that stuff. Do you know wow, what I mean? You become maximalist. Huh? Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> absolutely. But, but 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 if you think through, if you think, yeah. think it through. Yeah. So look, my, my background is, uh, is is in portfolio management. So um, this is uh, this is an argument that I could not. Um, I, I, I could I could not agree because what 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 it sounds like is that you would end up with a portfolio made of hundred percent of Bitcoin. I mean, people do that, but 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 that's not what I'm what I'm saying. What I'm saying is on the margin. Yeah. On the margin, um, more and more people might be tempted to do to to go a little bit more into into Bitcoin for yeah. other reasons yeah. than just investing. Because when you say it's a monetary good, then you hold your money in Bitcoin. Yeah. And if you if you can hold your your purchasing power, yeah. then less money will go into maybe an index fund. That is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, it it doesn't uh, for for me it doesn't really hold in the context of a portfolio because the behavior the price evolution of a Bitcoin is not going to be the same as as a property. Mm -hmm. um, like okay, we are we are in Vienna now. If I buy a house here, I'm pretty sure that the evolution of the price of my house is going to be somehow divergent from the evolution of the price of a Bitcoin. And ideally, uh, if I could, I would buy probably a property in another place and I would have some uh, stocks in, in, in startups. So all of this have very different mm -hmm. driver of value. And that's what I want in my portfolio, right? Because I, I cannot afford, I've got a, a big portion of my portfolio that is in Bitcoin, but uh, it's only a portion of it. Um, Partly because, and mostly because I see it as a diversification in my portfolio. There's less correlation. That, that is something that you cannot, I totally agree with you. The, the correlation with other assets is much lower. So I like to have this diversification in my portfolio, but I don't want to have 100% exposure mm -hmm. to that. So I, 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 going back to the point of tokenization, I don't see a, a problem. I think what you were, it sounded to me what you were referring to is that this kind of like um, token economics where you, you, you tokenize an asset and you have exposure to another token, maybe like a native token that you can like stake somewhere and do other fancy stuff. I, I'm actually not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not there. I look at tokenization in, in a very simple way, mm -hmm. uh, at least at the beginning. It's just to make an asset more easily accessible. I cannot afford to buy this building, right? But if it was tokenized, I could maybe buy a room or a flat. And I would love to do that. But and you could already buy a flat without it being tokenized. Uh, I don't. I don't know how much it costs here. No, I mean, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like if I have if I have a spare change, it's like yeah, I'd love to have. If I had like ten thousand euro, I'd like to to buy something. 
you know, where I can start deploying my cash without waiting until I have 100,000 euro and I, I know that I can get a mortgage. I'd like to be able to upload it or load it up. So I'm looking at tokenization in a, in a simple way, not the way it is being presented. And I maybe along the, the line where you're thinking about tokenization, I think there was a lot of misleading arguments mm-hmm. that have been proposed. The Probably the most dangerous one uh, is around liquidity. It's like, wow, we took a nice stuff. We created a secondary market. Everything yeah. is liquid. My goodness, this is Be- just because it make- isn't. Because what, what if I no. okay? So let's say let's say we tokenized the Mona Lisa, right? No. We tokenized the most important painting in the history, right? I don't know how much how much it's worth. Let's say five hundred million. Okay, yeah. so so I don't know. Uh, 200 million people buy tokens in the Mona Lisa, right? And then they all, all own the Mona Lisa. But what's the Mona Lisa worth if 200 million people own it? And if 200 people have to decide if it's going to ever be sold, because if you can't sell it, there is no market. And, and a market for a token of a little piece of the Mona Lisa is different than the actual market for the actual Mona Lisa. Well, you're creating a, a different um, floor or basket of drivers. I, I, you can, I could imagine that certain pocket of investors are going to think in one way or the pocket in a different way. So what you create, I think, in aggregate is what could be like a, a normal market. And I, I don't think that there is a secondary market for the Mona Lisa anyway, right? It's probably locked up in a museum. So you could create a secondary market where, where the it's part... It's probably two Saudi princes who, who trade with each other. <laughs> who, who, who knows? Who knows? But the, the part where I strongly disagree and what um, I'm a little bit concerned where we talk about increase in liquidity is so let's take the the example of the Mona Lisa um, you have I don't know 1% of it I've got 1% of it um, we created what seems to be a secondary market where we start exchanging uh, that's that sounds pretty good but do any of us as any value uh, any idea of what is the value of this 1% of the analysis? I think that's the part that is a little bit risky in, in, my, in my sense. Because you, you, you tell people, hey, you have now access to all these illiquid assets. You can trade them. And hey, it's on a blockchain. There is no intermediary. Beautiful. But guess what? I have zero idea what is the value of my asset. Like yeah. I would have zero value what is the value of my um, I don't know, a, a fancy, super exclusive sport car or wine. I don't know tomorrow what is going to be worse. So what it means is that between you and me, they're going to be a market maker who is going to be making the money. So what you say is like, we create liquidity, but not necessarily. That's the part where I'm a little bit skeptical. And I think we need to be a bit cautious when we uh, start tokenizing, especially illiquid assets. There are benefits, but we need to be clear about the, the risk or so. The liquidity is not really part of it. And also, let's say we, 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 we tokenize wine, right? So I, I buy one bottle. Maybe not, I buy the actual bottle. What if somebody drinks it? The token still exists, but the wine doesn't. So we have this oracle problem where we don't know what's actually on the, if, if, if what is on the blockchain actually exists. Um, yeah, I mean, this problem of oracle, we're going to... I don't want to use the word always, but at least as the any type of blockchain as the moment is built, you, we're going to have this Oracle issue. So there is going to be a third party that we're going to have to trust. It's like, well, is my bottle still, still full? Now, it's an interesting example that you took with the wine because um, there are some interesting use cases when it comes to the tokenization of, of wine. 
because what you can do, there are already solutions in the private banking space where you can invest in a certain percentage of uh, of a vintage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very static. You cannot really trade it, and it's not necessarily to the benefits of the, the wine producer. Now, if you tokenize it, you can actually put in place investment solution for a private bank, which can also be used by the wine producer for hedging mm-hmm. his position. And not necessarily, um, you know, if you are like a small wine producer in Tuscany and you have this super special wine, there is no future contract that um, is going to mimic exactly the value of your wine. Uh, and you're not going to create an option market for yourself. But So actually by tokenizing your production, you are... N- being in a position where you actually can hedge your, your, your own production. So, see, this is an example of um, a fairly simple, I think, use of tokenization. It's, there is no token economics. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not about shooting to the, for the moon. It's simply about making, um, making possible to have a simple financial product being created in a tailored fashion. And, and in the end, that's where we will see it, where it actually solves a problem, right? That's where, where, where it's going to stick. Um, just, 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 sorry to jump in, but uh, <coughs> um, to your point about solving a problem, I, I do also agree with you that <clears throat> in many cases, it's, it's been questionable. Um, what is the, the, the finality, the really use case of, of tokenizing stuff, right? Because... Um, do you really want if you had if you have the the ability of buying a flat or expensive like a luxury one? Do you really want to bother to get it in a tokenized format and you have to worry about wallet? No, you don't. Say <laughs> I can lose my flat. I can lose my my private key and then my flat. But like my little part of my flat is gone that I couldn't use anyways. But now it's all it's, it's gone. So I'm not I'm not. So nah. I, mean, I see what you're saying. What you're saying is that there is use cases that we can't even see maybe in the private market maybe in some very special assets where uh, companies are going to try this but in the end it is like you said we have to trust the third party so it's 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 very very far away from the whole decentralized everything it's not going uh, to be yeah, decentralized yeah. it's yeah. just going to be tokenized maybe in yeah. but it's just a fancy form of of database uh well, a, a, little bit, a, a, a little bit more, I think. Um, so obviously, Fidelity International is the mutual fund business. Now, if you look at how it works, at the moment, you buy a fund and you sit on this fund. That's it. And uh, whenever you buy it, you sell it. At the end of the day, you have an, an app that is being struck and you, you see the price. Now, as soon as you start tokenizing this asset, you will be able to increase the velocity of this product. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is that, for instance, instead of waiting the end of the day to have a price and to, to sell it or to buy it, you can create a secondary market. Not that it's going to happen overnight, but instead of having to wait and redeem it to an asset manager, you and me would be able to exchange during the day. So you already start fairly quickly to turn what is a very static mutual fund type of product into what is a little bit more like to an ETF. Yeah, but you already have the ETFs. That's what I'm going to say. You already ETFs already exist. So now that you have a product that is tokenized, you can also use it for other purposes. 
I can, for instance, take a loan against this um, this tokenized fund, which I cannot at the, at the moment. So what I'm getting at mm-hmm. is that you start adding use cases. Um, it's funny that you, man, you, 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 you mentioned um, ETFs. So that's another that's an example I think where tokenization has gone nowhere. It's like oh, let's tokenize ETFs. Wow. Okay. You you save one basis point. Good, good luck because you're going to have to invest to be able to do this mm-hmm. or tokenize securities. So I think that we need to be pretty clear about the fact that this type of super liquid efficient market are not the prime target for tokenization. But if you and this is my last question, this yep. and I want to go back to Bitcoin. But sure. if you if you tokenize a mutual fund, mm. then at least you know the the whole trust a third party and the and the Oracle problem is already solved because you already you already are the third party as a, as the fund provider and the fund manager and you you already solved the the the, the oracle problem for the fund you know i have to trust you basically if i if i buy the mutual fund i also have to trust you that you buy the actual assets for me right yeah i mean to some extent you replace the oracle issue with a bilateral market mm-hmm. or a secondary market where people are just going to try to figure out what the right price is um as we go down the road, then you can adopt the same technology that has been used in DeFi for a couple of years. We create a liquidity pool and you have a formula that establishes actually what is the price of your asset. So then you really start removing intermediary from the system. It's, it's, I just I do still have a very hard time because I remember seeing... Um, you know, stock indexes on the, the, the what's it called? The Mirror Protocol. Mm. And that was on Terra Luna. And it was just, you know, one day... One day was there, and I thought I, I I didn't invest, but you know, if I had invested, I thought I had a token that stands for a Tesla stock or a token that stands for the S and P. Yeah. And the other day it was just gone. It was just yeah. But <laughs> you know that that's that we, we kind of close the circle in our discussion. So it's going back to the first point about replacing some edgy young company with established institutional client, which ultimately is your counterparty or the person that you can trust in the system. So they are, I think, limitation to the concept of decentralization. You know, this is, I've, I've done a lot of uh, full circle when it comes to decentralization, no need for, for trust. You try to implement this in our real world and you say, wow, it just, it just doesn't work. Either it doesn't fit the existing regulation or it's extremely challenging to, to fit them or you put a lot of uh, group of investors at risk. So I, I, I'm, look, it's, it's been, what, eight years? I, I go in different loops, but I think there are limitations. I, to- I agree. I agree. We have one that, where it works and that's Bitcoin. Everything else is, is not decentralized. It's, it's just you always find centralizing factors, which is fine if you don't call yourself decentralized, you know? Yeah. Um, in the end... But you know, you ask me what's the the main use case in terms of Bitcoin. So if I, if we agree, it's a, a monetary good or a sort of digital gold. I still want to have exposure to other type of cryptocurrencies. Um, uh, for me, uh, the other layer one platform being ETH or Cosmos, they what do they represent? I look at them as as an infrastructure, like a like a highway that I have an opportunity to buy into. And on top of which, a lot of different services are being 
created. I tend to be biased toward financial services. That's why I look mostly at decentralized finance. I'm not into gaming. I'm not into NFTs and stuff like this. But what I'm seeing, like for instance, on top of those blockchain, they are useful applications that are being used. You remember um, back in the high day of decentralized finance, we had what, 160, 180 billion US dollar of total value locked. We had like now 50 billion. It's still a decent amount. And none of this system fell apart during 2022. It was actually solid. So that, go, that would go to, to your point about decentralization, like that work. The issue in 2022 was centralization, was not decentralization, but it's been used against decentralization. I see what you, what you mean is because, because of FTX being a centralized problem and, and, and yep. the actual DeFi protocols, I'm not too deep into them, you know, being a maximalist, but I, I, I see that most of them still exist, yes? Yep. Um, I mean, I would say that most of it is used for speculation. It's, it's pure financial speculation. There's no real-world um, use case to, 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 to these things yet. <laughs> can, can, can I, can I um, propose a counter-argument? So um, you can make the case, and I would respect that the existing DeFi space is very much focused on speculation because it's kind of like left pocket, right pocket, your pocket, my pocket. Yeah. But what we have also had the opportunity to see is how actually finance could be looking like in the future. I agree. It's it's been it's been a little bit like unfair competition because DeFi just went like I don't care about the rules. I don't care about protection. I don't care about convenience. I'm just going to build it in a way that makes the most sense. Now, what is interesting is that fast forward two years after the DeFi, DeFi summer, you have initiatives like Project Guardian, for instance, in, in Singapore, which was launched last year. It's sponsored by the Central Bank of, of Singapore, MAS. You have big heavyweight participants like JP Morgan, uh, DBS, for instance, who are looking at how to use these different toolkits uh, from liquidity pool to swap um, in an institutional framework. So I agree that it's easy to criticize what is currently happening, but it's also a massive source of inspiration for how actually financial services could be looking like in the future. Okay, but then there's also the argument that doesn't it in the end, if it does work, and if it does happen on a decentralized ledger, why, I mean, it's going to just, be on some layer on, on some extraction of the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Because it is the most decentralized and the most secure blockchain, and it has the one asset that actually works as an asset. Yeah, but look, um, <laughs> I, I, you're the strongest maximalist that I, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to. No, I, I respect that, but at the same time, you would also. Um, agree of the limitation of the Bitcoin blockchain, right? It's not a Turing complete system. So there are limitations. Um, falsely, people have been saying that, oh, you can have smart contracts on the Bitcoin blockchain. You can, this simple, but you, you, you can. Um, I'm not a big fan of the, the, the ordinals boom at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah but, but, but at least what it's doing, from my point of view, is that opening people's eyes. Say, whoa, okay, I didn't know that you can do NFTs on the Bitcoin blockchain. But... All of this, there is still some limitation. And for me, as, as an investor, to continue 
not recommending no investment advice but to to come to continue being comfortable with the value proposition of bitcoin i don't want the protocol to evolve too much oh i i agree 1000 percent. if that was even possible absolutely absolutely i'm, I'm just I'd, so my argument is not that i think this is going to happen my no. argument is it could happen i, I don't know what's going to happen in the future um i'm i'm i i am concentrating on bitcoin mostly because i don't have the time for the other stuff because yeah. I, I had the same story that you had I, I was also in ICOs here there then you read a bunch of white papers yeah. and then you have Denta coin and you put <laughs> bananas on the blockchain and, and yeah. you get you get so confused that yeah. you don't see the, 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 the forest for the trees mm. and I think that there is many topics in Bitcoin that we can talk about we won't even fit them in today yeah. that you need time to, to, to get into absolutely um, and, and I don't know if, if I think that like ordinals for example mm. you know it's a market. If if it's possible, people will try it. If if people will pay money for it, it's gonna work. In yeah. the end, I don't think it's gonna work because it's gonna be too expensive for it, for what is essentially a fun project, right? Yeah. Um, but narratives. You talked yeah. about the the inflation hedge narrative for Bitcoin. What do you think is the narrative going forward? And I'll give you uh, an example that is very interesting. Six uh, two months ago, we had. 100 Bitcoin is dead articles a day, right? I come from the media world. It's, it's, it's funny to see how the price dictates. So then Silicon Valley Bank happens and then suddenly I see a headline flashing on on CNBC. It says, investors in, <laughs> investors rediscover Bitcoin as an alternative banking system. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. two weeks ago it was dead. Now it's an alternative banking system. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, do, where do you see the narrative or like the use case that people use uh, in Bitcoin right now? Is it, is it really, you know, growing into this alternative to the, to the traditional system or is that, is that also hyperbole? So two points. Um, just quickly on the narrative, I, I continue to think that this narrative of I don't really like the illusion of digital gold because even the correlation is very weak, but say as, as a reserve currency. And I think that's the way I see it evolving. Mm -hmm. And um, where, you know, just on the point that you touched earlier, other protocol have the opportunity of developing more, much more sophisticated application. That's why I would not discount them. And that's why I will continue including them in my portfolio. <coughs> <coughs> They are actually separate, literally separate. I would not compare a Bitcoin to an ETH or a Cosmos. I think this totally is important. That, and, then it, and then it's totally fair. Exactly. Even like putting in the back of the cryptocurrency, that's, that's, that's pretty damaging. But it's, it is what it is. Now, to the point of, um, that you mentioned on the back of the US bank, it also very much depends who you're listening to, right? Because I found it... Um, a little bit suspicious from, from certain market participants um, to say um, when the price of Bitcoin was, um, was, was going up and like literally inversely correlated to, to the rest of the market, saying, whoa, yeah, finally people have realized that the banking system doesn't work. Uh, fractional banking is um, it's just uh, an unworkable context, uh, concept. That's why they're rushing into to Bitcoin. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, that was, I mean, I had a, I, I, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin, but I had a very different reading. The first one, which I think was the most um, easy to justify, is simply that on the back of this banking crisis, you could have expected to have 
um, more liquidity being provided to the market or at least less tightening from the Fed. And if there is one trigger, one driver for the price of Bitcoin is the liquidity in the market. I think that was the driver number one. And then you have other anecdotal things that seem to be happening. You have effectively bank or digital native investing in, in this space, like pulling their money out of, of the bank. Some of them putting in USDT and some of them saying like, boah, not sure what all this is happening. I don't want to be exposed to this stable coin because I don't know when they're going to get regulated and going all the way to Bitcoin. But that's that's pretty edgy, right? <laughs> if you have it some, is edgy. if you have a treasury and you start putting it into into bitcoins, like you you need to have a pretty solid stomach for 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 the volatility that you're taking. So I I, I, I think it was a, a little bit excessive to say, hey, this is end of the world and and bitcoin will will, will save it. Um, but do you see what do you see the narrative going forward? Now we have the halving coming up. Where the the price is somewhat going up again we're not there's no hype yet right mm. um but inflation hedge inflation hedge is always a stupid story because what is an inflation hedge if if there was an inflation hedge, everybody would just buy it and there wouldn't be an inflation right well if commodity is an inflation edge if i buy more cacao and cows is it going to stop inflation i don't know and you're going to have to think about this but in the end i mean even if if there was an inflation hedge you would have to buy it before the inflation actually hits it's not like you can press a button and just get out of the inflation that's what i meant well it depends on what your forecast is right and and usually be it macroeconomists or central bank they tend to be either wrong or not timing exactly one thing is going to happen so they're either wrong or very wrong yeah (laughs) i remember like uh just like 12 months ago it's like oh yeah no inflation is in temporary and suddenly like whoosh it's gonna be a hump yeah i think so i think there is there is an argument to be made and as as a previous investor it's like you know you see a news you believe in it or a development you buy because you know that it's going to continue playing out so you don't need to be necessarily at the beginning but going back to your question about the narrative do we really need to have a narrative i mean the, the way the, no because what i would prefer is to remove this emotional component when we talk about cryptocurrency there are so many people within my industry within my friends who are like, oh, crypto is a scam and it's pyramid. And, you know, I mean, you, you've heard them probably more than, than I do. I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't care about this emotional stuff. You're mixing way too many things to, together. You, you're mixing, you know, technical challenges with, um, with, just, with just scam. So why don't you put like the emotional things on the side and just look at the data that you have in front of you? You look at the correlation with other markets and then you decide whether it's a fit in your portfolio or not. Now, there's two, two, two points with that. There is one caveat and um, I think one more work that needs to be done. The caveat is that obviously we have like five, seven years of data that we can rely on, which is the, the best excuse for any macroeconomist who has zero idea about the topic to say, yeah, that's, no, it doesn't count understand anything to this crypto stuff but they're going to say it's like oh it's 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 only seven years of of data the other thing is that you still need to form also a view on where this market is going is going to develop 
right? It's very stagnant in the moment. But if you think that it makes sense to have it as a sort of reserve currency in your wallet, and then that central bank starting maybe with emerging countries are going to put this on their balance sheet, and people suddenly are going to realize, wow, this is a this is an uncorrelated asset that I should have in my my wallet. If you consider the the, the <laughs> how mainstream Bitcoin is, which is absolutely not from my point of view. You can imagine like suddenly, you know, think about we are in Europe, right? Mika, 27 countries, which suddenly make it safe for retail investor to move into this asset. You have a massive demand, which is facing, as we know, a very constrained supply. So you can also start building a rationale, an investment rationale of why it makes sense in your portfolio and what could happen to, to this asset. It, it's so interesting that you say that, and I think that the view of looking at it as a monetary good that can be used as a reserve asset is one of the most important um, um, perspectives. And because for the first time in history, I, Nico, can use an asset in the same way that you know, Warren Buffett, George Soros, Fidelity, or the Central Bank of England use it. You know, I can, I can move it. I can deal with it. I can do the same things. Mm. I could do the same thing with gold, theoretically. Yep. Yes, I could have a gold coin in my pocket, yep. but practically it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, and especially gold. I mean, I'm a huge gold fan as well, but gold does not work in the digital world, right? Um, um, while Bitcoin is built for the digital world. Um, and I think that this is something, this 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 idea of having this reserve currency that's for the people is, 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 is actually more powerful than thinking about central banks buying it. We started about central banks, but in the end, central banks are going to be the last ones to actually you know, put it into the reserves um, because they are going to need to put it in the reserves because people already own it. Mm. It was the same thing with gold. It was not like central banks decided we're going to buy gold because it's shiny. They bought the gold because they had to. Yeah, that, that's a fair argument, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll get there, but there, there's two things that are missing from my point of view. Firstly, for Bitcoin to be an asset that is palatable for the mass, like the mom and pop on the street, I think you still need to have an asset class which you can um, sort of mitigate from a volatility point of view. Because it's 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 a bit yeah. challenging. Yeah. I mean, emotionally, you, you're probably sitting on 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 this amount of Bitcoin. It's emotionally challenging. Whatever. I, I, my my, <laughs> my big advantage is that I, I it took me seven years to get to to get Bitcoin, yeah. so I, I didn't actually buy a lot. But that's it, actually that that helps with not with sleeping. <laughs> yeah. But so you appreciate like so it it it, it is it is pretty awkward. The, the second thing is, what is the value of a reserve asset? You only need the reserve asset when things are going south, mm-hmm. right? If if the world is in a good place and you make good return in, in equity, you don't necessarily think about having this reserve, like super defensive asset in your in your portfolio. So I think as long as you we we don't have the this um, a way to tame the volatility and we are not too focused on on the downside. I don't see why everybody should have it in in their wallet. In their in their in but but like in their portfolio, yes, but not in their in their own wallet. Or... I mean, in portfolio wallet. I mean, in in the same way. I don't I don't think that any any person that like everybody needs to have exposure to it. It might make sense if you have a diversified portfolio, but uh, otherwise, I think you you can live without it. Sorry, I don't mean to. <laughs> 
We'll cut out the last part. <laughs> well, <laughs> Luke, thank you very much for taking the time and coming by in Vienna. I know you have a very busy schedule. Um, I hope we can do this again and maybe in Germany the next time. Of course. Thanks a lot, Nico. Thank you. Cheers. For more content, articles, and podcasts like this, go to fixthemoney.net.